I apologize first for not really singing. Can't really talk very clear. Every year around Memorial Day, I have a allergy flare up and came a little early this year, but um, kind of rough couple of days. But if you teach for school for long enough, you realize there's a big difference at the start of the year and at the end of the year. And we have three days left right now. And I was talking to my class, one of my classes today, telling them that uh, they were going to do a review game today and they're going to take their final exam tomorrow. But I don't have a lot of voice and don't have a microphone. And a little girl, she said, Mr. Hopkins, do you feel bad? And I was like, a little bit. And she said, you look like one of those pictures in a mug shot. <laughs> I thought the things that you'll let them get away with on May the 20th is a lot different than what they can get away with on August the 20th. She wasn't wrong. Eyes look terrible and all that. <clears throat> so, <laughs> so if I hope that's the kindness that you're thinking of right now as well. Tonight we're continuing with our discussion on miracles. We've talked for a couple of times on Wednesday night here lately about the Sabbath day and how Jesus was criticized for healing on the Sabbath day. Um, and so tonight we have a miracle that we're going to be looking at. And you can turn to Luke chapter 6. That's going to be our starting point. <clears throat> but I have a couple of questions before we begin. Because tonight we're going to talk a good bit about Sabbath day rules and regulations. But I want to ask you first, what was the purpose of the Sabbath day? So it was a break, give man a break, as Ben said there, to concentrate, to focus on God for one particular day. What was the Sabbath day to, what day was the Sabbath day, I guess we should say? Saturday. Saturday. Very good. Um, you'll see this more often than not when you look back. It's not Sabbath. That's an English translation. The word sort of. It's all the same letters, just rearranged for Shabbat, S-H-A-B-B-A-T. But the same principle applies. This was modeled after what? God created their earth in six days. On the seventh day, he rested from all his life. So in the Genesis story, we read about one, two, three, four, five, six days, and then the seventh day of rest. This is modeled after that. Do we have a Sabbath day today? No. It's not scriptural, but the Sabbath day, day has sort of transferred over in many ways to Christianity to Sunday. And people quite often refer to Sunday as the Sabbath day. You've probably heard people say we're going to the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Well, that's not what it was. That's an Old Testament requirement, old law requirement. But that's still used by many people today. In fact, you all, some of you probably grew up in a time when there was nothing open on Sunday. And there are probably people here and people that you know that would have swore up and down it was scriptural. It's not. It's traditional. There's nothing wrong with it. There's no problem with it. But that's changed over time. There's still a handful of places. Chick-fil-A restaurants are, are closed on Sundays. There are some stores that are closed on Sundays. But for the most part, that's something that's changed. And I will say this. People were 
saying when I was little, they were saying, well, it used to nothing was open on Sunday. So I don't know when, when that was. It's been a long time ago since that happened. But the point of that is to say <clears throat> that sometimes we can take things that have a scriptural basis and over time manipulate them into a traditional thing, but would apply that tradition so hard to something that it shouldn't be applied to. And we're going to talk about that here this evening. In fact, tonight, we're going to talk less Bible and more tradition as we cover this. Tonight's lesson is about the man with the withered hand. This is in Matthew 12, Mark chapter 3, but our focus to start with is Luke chapter 6. And so I want to address a couple of things up here because these are relevant points to what we're going to look at. We'll have time to discuss, and I want you to add some thoughts to it as well. You'll probably laugh a time or two tonight as well. The first one, though, this miracle, it's the ninth one in order of which we've covered it, took place on the Sabbath in the synagogue in an unnamed location. Don't know where it is. Not really relevant to what this would be, but it takes place on the Sabbath. And the second thing there, as we talked about, God had set aside the Sabbath as a day for the Israelites to rest, as Ben said, uh, a, a day that might be a blessing for them. Instead of worrying about all the stuff that you have to do, instead sort of focus on religious things, scriptural things, maybe a time to read, maybe a time to study, but maybe just a time to sort of think for just a minute. We don't think enough, all right? Sometimes we think we think, but we don't really think a whole lot. We let it run through pretty quick. But when we think about this time that they were using, it was the time to sort of set other things away. Remembering the Sabbath, that was part of the Ten Commandments, that was part of the Law of Moses. And those were principles, you can see there in laws, to guide the people in their daily lives. How many of you have ever said something to the effect of, I am so busy this week? We have this conversation, usually, I've told you this before, but Mary and I have this conversation every Sunday on the way to church, usually Sunday night. What do we got this week? Will gets a haircut three times a week, it seems like. We talk about that all the time, right? But we've got practice, and we've got church, and we've got this, and we've got that. And we sort of figure out who's doing what on there. And there's really rarely a time that there's not something. Will have one kid, I can't imagine having three or four or five. But it's almost like, for me, sometimes it's like Friday night, and it's six o'clock, and I'm thinking, I should be somewhere. It's like, it's more times than not. I am somewhere, but that's not what it is. But if we're not careful, we sort of get bogged down in all this. Bogged down is not the right word, but we get overwhelmed maybe by this, and we sort of realize, well, yeah, I have two hours of church. All right, we'll squeeze that in, right? That goes on the calendar right there. But God had commanded that the people sort of use this Sabbath day as a day of rest, but also not just a day of putting your feet up, but a day of sort of contemplation, consideration as well. Over time, though, what started out as a day of rest had been added by the Jewish leaders explicit rules and regulations covering every possible situation in camp. Now, how is it possible to cover every situation? It's not. It's not. It's impossible. 
But it's nice to know that there is something there, right? We're going to look at some of those here in a second. These rules and regulations are what we would call an oral tradition, a spoken tradition, passed down. Oral histories are passed down from one person to another. We have to be very careful with oral histories because oral histories will tell the good and it will leave out the bad. It will spice up the good and it will tone down the bad as well. But these were passed down generation from generation, mouth to mouth, but they're not found in the law of Moses. So we're going to talk about a little bit of that right here. Um, this is what Leland read here just a second ago. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. Where in the Bible is the book of Exodus? Right there at the beginning, right? Number two, Genesis, Exodus. And so that tells me that it's in what part of the Bible? The Old Testament. And things that are in the Old Testament are part of what we call what? The old law. Very good. Okay? Now, if we read there what Leland read, and this is just word for word from Exodus chapter 20, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Okay? Nor will your son, your daughter, male servant, female servant, your cow, stranger who comes to you as well. What's the purpose of all of those neither will, neither will, neither will? You're not leaving anybody out. This is simply, you're not going to do any work. Nobody else is either, right? That's what we're explaining right here. Now, do what? Closing loophole. Closing loophole. Well, thought so. But it doesn't seem like it ends up being that way. They're trying to. But sometimes when you close one up, it's two more up along the way. So these rules regulating the Sabbath become extremely, uh, extremely numerous. And that's a problem because there's too much. But they become burdensome as well for things that you're, on a day you're supposed to not be working. You become almost overburdened by this. And we're going to talk about this. So I have a question. What is work? I don't, this is not a biblical question. This is a me to you question. Tom, you go first. Putting the pull up. Any physical activity. Any physical activity. What that seem like? Not all of it's work, is it? Hmm. Okay. What do you think? That, what else could be work? A job. Okay. But my job is probably easier than some of yours. So does that count? I don't know. What else would be work? Anything that's not relaxing. Okay, if you're a farmer, feeding your cow, horses, you know, bush hog, whatever that is, you got to do all of this. That's work, okay. What else? Cooking. Cooking. So what do we That's all right. Did you say babysitting? Babysitting. All right, that's not relaxing at all. Well, A toil you have to do to make a living to support your family. But you put a pool up the other day. And that was work. And none of that fits your definition. Comedy. <laughs> Did they put it up backwards and all the water was outside? <laughs> so here's the thing. And this is from study on this. They have developed 39 
classifications of work. What does it mean to classify something? So to break it down, listen, well this falls into this category, or this category, or that category. But then not only that, each classification was divided and then subdivided again. The Major League Baseball rule book, the rules are numbered by 10.1, point A, point 2, point B. It's, it's a lot, right? Breaking all that evidence, there's a lot of rules. So what is work? Well, work that was forbidden was the call, so-called carrying of a burden. Define that. Yes. So how can I make that Absolutely. lean toward being my favor? That's just human nature. I won't tell you exactly how, but the clock out rounds up and rounds down. We can talk about it later when it's not being recorded on life. Um, what was defined as a burden? Well, let's talk about definition of a burden. This is a burden. Carrying food equal in weight to a dried fig. You know what a fig is? What about this fig, right? Dried, it's going to be a little less heavier. But all figs aren't the same, eat them, right? Okay. Milk, enough for one swallow. Well, that probably weighs different. For me, I don't even like milk. When Will was little, he could drink a gallon of milk in, in no time. Y'all might fall somewhere in between. But milk enough for one swallow. Well, there's a difference in how big or small people are, right? Okay. Ink enough to write two letters of alphabet. Not three. Too much. Two. Okay. Parchment or paper enough to be able to write here, O Israel. But not much more than that. So we need to fit on however much space that's a, that's how much paper you can carry. Now, can you see why they condemned the man last week for carrying his bed after he'd been healed by Jesus? I guarantee the bed made more than it weighed more than a pig or milk or a, a, a little bit of ink or a piece of paper. But all of these are defined as burdens. Now, I want you to think about that because somebody had to set that definition. Yeah. Over time, measurements and weights have to be figured out. They have to be standardized. There are things called tons in America, but they're not the same as tons in Britain. There are short tons, and there are long tons. There are Roman miles, and there are French miles, and there are English miles. But everything has to be regulated. And somebody, it's the federal government, I don't know who's in the federal government, over time has worked out these weights and measurements in the U.S. But somebody had to determine what these things were. And the reason they did is somebody was carrying a cup of milk on a Saturday somewhere and somebody said, that's too much. Well, what would be the right amount? 
Okay? Is that rule or is that tradition? community that have rules very similar to this right now. They are not scriptural. They might link back somehow, but that was my question a minute ago about religion or tradition. Tradition is this oral thing that's handed down, that's passed down. It's, talk some of you heard this, it's how we've always done it. You ever heard that? Well, it wasn't always how we've done it, because somebody started doing it that week. But we say that enough that it sort of becomes this thing. So these oral traditions, not the law, but these oral traditions kept pounding Jesus. They have been developed throughout the years. They were not on the stone tablets that Moses carried out. I can guarantee you none of that was on the stone tablet. You'd have to carry all that of stone for that. But throughout the years, these regulations have been put on over just one thing after another. Ben said a minute ago about loopholes. Well, the smallest details were loopholes. And they had the answer to every one of those things. And so these were the kind of things that Jesus was facing. Okay? They had refused to recognize Jesus as Messiah. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, become more and more hostile to him, miracle after miracle. Well, they couldn't really stop the miracle stuff, so maybe get him on the legal technicalities. Huh? But Jesus, we've talked about this already, was showing mercy and compassion.
to the person who would suffer whatever the ailment would be. Thoughts before we go any further. Yeah, sure. And they treated their own laws and rules as more important than God's work. Yes. You got in more trouble for breaking their traditions than you did for breaking God's law. Mm-hmm. Other thoughts. How difficult would it be to keep the actual written law that's in the Old Testament? If so, it was impossible, right? But none of these things are in the Old Testament. There are modifications of things that might be there. But now you have to keep all of those as well. That would be almost impossible. Here's a picture here. We try to do one every week. This is from Egypt, 1684. You can go to Baltimore, Maryland and find this picture. We're talking about this guy tonight. Jesus healing the man with a withered hand. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Make sure I'm in the right spot first. Luke 6, verses 6 through 11. Luke 6, 6 through uh, 11. Tom, do you care to read that one, sir? Now, those last, the last verse in particular, we're going to go here in a minute and look at the Matthew version because they're a little, stout, a, little, a little stouter than even the Luke version. But a couple of questions. So it starts with this in Luke 6, 6. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and there happens to be a man there with what problem? With a withered hand, right? So you've got a withered hand. You've probably seen people that have had withered limbs, withered hands, something like that. And so Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on a Sabbath, and there's a man who has an ailment. Now, I would argue that a withered hand is probably not as bad as some other things that Jesus has cured people of. But it's still something that if you had it, you probably would desire to have that fixed as well. Now, in verse 7, what were the scribes and Pharisees doing? Verse 7 says that they were watching, right? Watching for what? To see if he would heal, right? See if he would heal somebody. What were they looking for? To find fault or to accuse. They said that they were looking that they may accuse him. And it's interesting, Satan's name, remember the remains, the accuser. Right. So here we see the scribes and Pharisees doing Satan's work, accusing So we said, though, at the very beginning that Jesus was doing what in the synagogue? What's, what was Jesus' task? Teaching. Teaching. But they're watching to accuse. So let's take those two things together. If they're spending their time watching to make sure he doesn't heal, what were they not doing? They're not listening to what he was saying. And so they're sort of looking at it with a chance to like 
you know, here, got it, got it, you did wrong right there. So after Jesus tells the man with the wizard, with the man, rise up, saying, what did he tell the scribes and Pharisees? He said, it's exactly right. He said in verse 9, I'll ask you one thing, one question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? Save a life or destroy it? Now those are tough questions because there's only one or two answers, right? But this is a group of people who have spent their life developing traditions that gave answers to everything. What if I have a fig that's not dry? Can I carry it? No. What if I have milk that's less than a swallow? Can I carry it? Yes. So these are people that are familiar with yes and no questions. So the question is, is it lawful to do good or evil? Huh? What's the answer? It's two options, right? If I say good, then it's okay to heal, right? But if they say evil, what is wrong with that? Say it again. You're still doing something. You're still doing something. <laughs> but I mean, you look like a really bad, you kind of look like hard-hearted to say, well, you know, you gotta do, you gotta do evil. That doesn't look, he said, should we, what's the second part ask? Do good or to do evil? Says, should we save a life or destroy? Well, what's the answer? Save? Destroy. So Jesus sort of pins these questions on them to a group of people very familiar with having answers to everything. He pins these questions on. So what's he tell the man and what's the result? So stretch out your hand and it'll be good, right? It'll work. No. No. We're good. Right. We are actually, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about something that here a little bit later as well. So the man sort of stretches it out. And so imagine this withered hand that was probably non-functioning, you know, probably couldn't do very little with it. What would this man be able to do? He'd be able to use his hand, right? He would be able to use his hand. So yet again, we see somebody healed of some kind of ailment, some kind of disability, some kind of issue that will make their life a whole lot better. But what was the result from the scribes and Pharisees? Well, let's hold on for just a second. Turn back to Matthew chapter 12. This is the same story, but I want to use it because I feel like there's a back end of this that's relevant for what we're looking at. This is Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Melvina, do you care to read that one? Yeah. 
Now I said a minute ago that it seems like that the Pharisees, when Jesus was talking, were only interested at this point in trying to trick him or to get him on something. But Matthew records sort of an interaction here between the two. And they ask him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Notice the word lawful here. It's not a question of, is it right or wrong? He doesn't ask, they don't ask, is it good or evil? It simply says, is it lawful? Well, let's go back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. What did we read in Exodus 20 chapter 8 about what you should do on the Sabbath? Not do any work, right? And I'm not, you're not, my kids aren't, my servants aren't, my cattle aren't. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Does healing work? Right. Good answer. So Jesus then responds with a relevant question to the people there. He asks about a sheep. Why does that matter? Why do you think he used uh, as a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Yeah. That would have that been relevant to anybody. And I'm sure that that was a concern for Jewish people on the Sabbath. What if something goes wrong with the sheep? Or the cows. You know, just hope and pray. Do you know how many times we all come to church just hoping nothing happened to cows that they get home, right? Doesn't always work that way, right? But that's something that they would have been relevant to. He says, we did not lay a hold of it and get it out. What is every person going to say in response to that question? Of course. But is that violation, is that a violation of this burden of work? It would be. But he says, how much more value is a man than a sheep? So he says, if you're absolutely certain that you'll grab that sheep, what about a man? Would you get him out of trouble? Would you fix him, help him, heal him, whatever it would be? The sheep was getting into their pocket. Person. Yep. The man. He didn't affect their finances in any way. Nope. That's why they could be condemned in that situation. But if it's their money, then with most people, you can almost go on that too and say that that could affect their money long term because if he's healed by Jesus, they may not be as much desire to come over what they're doing as well. That's another way down the line. But he tells me, he says, stretch out your hand. All right, so a couple of questions. To prove his right to heal on the Sabbath, he gives the example of the sheep, right? What was the conclusion then of the matter? Matthew 12 and verse 12. The word lawful is used here. Therefore, is it lawful to do good on a Saturday or on a Saturday? Well, we can become burdened by that term lawful and forget the good natured part that we should go into as well. Jesus doesn't really answer this question. But in the next verse, he tells the man to do what? So he really answered the question, right? He said, stretch out your hand. 
right here in front of them. So in, what he's really doing is he's breaking the law right in front of the people who are responsible for making sure the law isn't broken. Exactly. So I like verse 14 a little better than Luke's account. Luke's last verse, I'm sure I say the right thing from the wrong page. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. What does Matthew 12 and 14 say? Plotted against him how they might what? Which one do you read is stronger, the Luke version or the Matthew version? Uh, you can take whichever one you want, and I, we all interpret things differently, but plotted and destroyed are sort of nefarious and violent words, right? If you're plotting to do something, you know, we're, we're weighing it all, you know, we're going to do this or this or, or that. And they, the Pharisees held the council. That means they were all the <coughs> Absolutely. Other thoughts on this. Like I said, there was more tradition than there was scripture tonight. And I did that on purpose because I wanted us to see that we can sometimes get sort of bound up in these things. Let's take three things home with us tonight. Number one, teaching comes before healing. Mom, you sort of alluded to this the same thing, you know, but Luke doesn't seem to tell us at all why the man was there. We don't read anywhere that the man had a withered hand and he was dying to be healed. We don't, that's not what it says. Now, <coughs> I'm sure he would have liked to have been healed. Any of you who have any kind of problem would like to be healed from it, right? If we could get rid of that, that would be great. But it's not recorded there. Jesus was in the synagogue, Luke 6 and verse 6, doing what? teaching and there was a man there ready to be taught as well the teaching is what drew the people to jesus subsequently the apostles even more so us even today healing was how they made the connection and how they furthered the gospel because that man is going to go home and tell the people that he was healed but after he's got home and been healed and settled in a little bit He's going to start thinking about what the teaching was about. And he can tell that story over and over again as well. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 10, Jesus sent out the apostles. Out the apostles. And when the crowds returned, Jesus welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom. That means he taught them. And he also healed those who needed it. That's the last sentence right there. He welcomed them. Like here. He taught them. Here's what you need to know. And then he healed those that needed. That was the last thing. And healing is part of the teaching. It is. It's Number two. All are equal when it comes to Jesus' teaching. Think about all the places that Jesus taught from. We've already talked about it in this class over the last few weeks. I wrote down, he spoke in fields, boats, synagogues, houses, all in the last six weeks. Where are those things? Fields, boats, synagogues, houses, mountains. Where is that? It's everywhere, right? If there was not a, I'd love to tell you more about it, 
Come over here next week and we'll talk about it. It was right then and there. If it needed to be right then and there, it would be right then and there. He shared the news with who? Everybody. Were there Jewish people in the synagogue? Absolutely. Were there Gentiles floating around on the outside or on the roads or in the communities? You can almost guarantee that there were. Were there strict Jews who followed the law to a T? Were there some who maybe had slid a little bit? He taught all of them. Anyone who responded to him. He said, they all matter, right? No matter what their ailment, no matter what their disability, no matter what their community status was. What if Jesus had went to the synagogue every time and spent 10 minutes talking with the scribes and Pharisees first? What would be the problem with that? Do we sometimes do that? If we're not careful, we can follow that as well. The teaching is for who? Never mind. I think we need to remember too that we all need healing. Sure. Every person. I don't care if you're slave that time. We're talking about that. We're talking about your heal because your 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 burden with sin and your burden with sickness and your eventual burden with death and you need healing. And you can't get it anyplace else except through Jesus. Third. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. Pharisees sought to put restrictions on Jesus, right? They couldn't really stop him from healing. I mean, you could have killed him, but you couldn't really stop him from healing because we will later see that sometimes Jesus healed people when he wasn't even there, right? Sometimes it was somebody just walked by and got healed in that way. So it wasn't necessarily, that would have been almost impossible for them to stop him. So instead, they wanted to put maybe limitations. Well, if you can't heal on Saturday, that's at least one day we don't have to deal with it. Right? That's one day. Did that work? It doesn't seem to matter any what time of day it was, what day it was. What the circumstances, Jesus seems willing to help in all of those. He helped the man with the possessed by the demon a few weeks ago. Told the demon, in, a, in my words, he told the demon, get on out of here, right? I'm teaching. We're working right here. Sort of shunned him on out of the way right there. That was when he was going to teach. He said in our story, our reading just now, man's more valuable than a sheep. We should have the same attitude as well. If somebody comes to us, Wanting to be taught, what should we do? Does it matter where they're from? Color of their skin? Religious background? No. Do we need to put those sort of oral traditions on them as we, as we saw the Jewish people do? No. Absolutely. If somebody says to us, why do you preach on the first day of the week? We need to find the verse if somebody says, why do you partake in the communion on the first day of the week? we got to be able to show where it is. Now, if somebody says, why do you sing three or two songs and take communion? I went to another church and they sang four songs and took communion. That's all right. That's the same thing. Those are bound traditions. Sometimes we, we, you know, we start doing things like that. That's fine. None of that matters. Are we doing it? That's what matters right there. But it's when we say, well, I went to another church and they took communion at the end of the preaching. It'll be an eternity in hell for those people. 
Will people say yes. that? Yes. Yes. The point of it being is that we can't get bound up in those sort of things. But we should take the opportunity to do good the same way that Jesus did. Right. I have to say, 